Welcome to the 368th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney, and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Welcome, and thank you for listening. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I just finished some leftovers this evening. I had some mashed potatoes with mushroom gravy left, and I actually made a potato cake. I added some onions to that, a little bit of vegan yogurt, and made potato cakes and baked those. So that was a good addition, along with Swiss chard, some white beans, and some Brussels sprouts that I actually had not cooked that we had left from Thanksgiving. I must say I cooked way too much. I'm used to cooking for class, and we have any place from 10 or 12 people in one class to sometimes 20 in another class. And so for five people, I cooked more for 10. But uh, it was nice to have the kitchen closed for two or three days, and we ate leftovers, so it was nice uh, enjoying that. I posted um, some things on Facebook um, as far as what we had, but sweet potatoes, uh, white potatoes with mushroom gravy, lima beans, stuffing balls, bok choy salad with pomegranate and oranges. Um, we, I, I made a roast uh, thanks to uh, the recipe that was shared by one of our members, um, Barbara Martino. Hey, Barbara. Uh, shout out to her because she saved the vegan roast uh, dilemma for the Thanksgiving. And it was uh, made from a white, uh, vital wheat gluten and tofu and then spices. So that turned out really good. And so we had that. And then um, instead of uh, pumpkin pie, I actually made a tiramisu. So... Um, that was a little bit heavy, small pieces, lasted all weekend long, uh, one and done. So we're ready to go. So next up for me is the California International Marathon this coming weekend. So I'm, uh, we'll be traveling uh, to that and looking forward to running a race there. Haven't been to California since 2019 because of COVID. Um, Disappointingly, I have to go and get a COVID test tomorrow, even though I have had COVID, uh, to have a proof that I have I am not infected when I go to the expo. But that's okay. I can I can do that. But I'm looking forward to running the running the race there in California and seeing some old friends while we're out there. So that should that should be good. And then after that, uh, it's back Christmas, and then uh, get ready for. Uh, 25k in January and a 50 miler in February. So the racing continues. I haven't been to the pole in a couple of weeks. You know that promise that I made that I was going to go every Wednesday and keep the running. It's just you know time's getting in the way. Got a little cold here. I'm trying to get a little more running in. I'm actually going to do something for this race that I tell people not to do, and I've been told not to do. But I'm going to wear a pair of shoes that I've never run more than seven or eight miles in. And uh, I have been an ultra girl as far as A-L-T-R-A running uh, shoe. Uh, nice wide toe box. They're a zero drop shoe. I love them for trails. My feet don't hurt at all. But um, the road shoe just hasn't fit me like I wanted it to um, over the past couple versions. So after I had uh, the interview with Harvey, and he's a Newton guy, and he does all those races and wins all those races with Newtons, I decided to give them a go again. Um, I, uh, uh, so I ordered a pair of Newtons, 
If you're not familiar, Newton is a very small, independently owned running company uh, based in Colorado. Uh, they have um, they encourage you know more of a minimal type of shoe. They have what we would call lugs to, to encourage landing in the front of the foot, um, and. They're, um, you know, like I said, uh, they're about a three millimeter drop, so they're not much different than my Ultras as far as being a zero drop. Uh, the thing that's different about them is they don't have quite the wide toe box that the Ultras do, so it's a little iffy for me. Uh, there's a little bit of wiggle room up there that I'm not sure about, um, but I do like the way they feel. They're more, it's more of a firm ride than a cushiony shoe. I've decided that, um, you know, that's what I like the most. So I'm going to take both pairs, the ultra trail and the Newton road shoes and make the final decision on Saturday. We run a 5k on Saturday and then Sunday we run the marathon. So I'll make the final decision then, but I, I think I'm probably going to Pick the Newtons uh, and uh, hope for speed as opposed to cushion. And whatever the decision is, I'm not going to complain. So if I decide to wear the Newtons and they end up causing me a blister or sore feet, I'm going to just suck it up and uh, call it a decision. But um, that's 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 the way that it is right now. Feeling pretty good about my running, so we'll see. Um, you know, we'll, we'll just see how, how things go and. Uh, I hope to run a smart race. Uh, anybody that's known or followed me over the years knows that I don't run too many of those. Uh, I typically do something a little stupid. That uh, may be shoe selection this time, but uh, I'll probably do something else stupid or something else at home. But the idea would be uh, the perfect marathon for me would be to either even split the first half and the second half or maybe even a little bit of a negative split um, to run hard, but, uh, you know, not not burn out, take in adequate nutrition at the right times, keep hydrated. So and we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, it's always a learning experience. And I'm just happy to have the opportunity to go run in, in California. I just wanted to do a little bit of follow-up on the uh, since the last podcast on the sugar topic. Um, you know, I was a little bit uh, taken aback uh, by the research presented in another podcast and throwing, um, well, in, in, you know, the discussion on fructose and sugar and the more I looked around, the more people seem to call sugar, starch, glucose, fructose, fruit, um, all one thing. And I just, I just kind of want to clear up a few things about sugar. Um, and, you know, again, uh, his research didn't have anything to do with fruit, the fructose and fruit. And, sh and fruit isn't all fructose. It's part sugar, part fructose. Or I'm sorry, part glucose, part fructose. See, I'm even getting it messed up. Sugar is one-to-one, -one, one glucose, one fructose when we metabolize it. But, um, you know, when you, when you look at, of course, simple sugars are all the same, whether it's honey, maple syrup, or table sugar, they're all glucose and fructose. So I think everybody agrees that, again, that uh, sugary drinks and candies like that are uh, sugar, which is sugar and fructose, and fructose can uh, potentially cause more uh, metabolic changes than glucose. Our body needs glucose. Our brain runs on glucose. 
and that the fructose in fruit is most likely not a problem at all, uh, mainly because there's not that much. It's associated with fiber, and there's so many other good things in fruit. So no one should be afraid of fruit or the fructose in fruit. Um, the other thing, when they talked about potatoes and bread, uh, I just want to make it clear, and starches in general, starches for the most part are glucose, not fructose. There is some simple sugars in flour, very small amount, but for the most part, it's maltose, glucose. Um, so when people say sugar, everything turns to sugar, it doesn't turn to sugar. It typically turns to glucose, and glucose our body can use very easily and efficiently. Too much of any good thing, whether it's sugar, protein, or fat, is not good. Our body will end up storing those things, either in glycogen or fat. Um, and fat is really excess of storage is where the problem is. If you look around at lifestyle diseases, um, for the most part, uh, it's associated with being overweight. 75% of the population is overweight, so we have lifestyle diseases. And there was an interesting study um, that I uh, ran across that actually looked at um, exercise and SARS-CoV-2 or the COVID virus. And the reality of it is um, we all know, I think for the most part, that people that are overweight, that have hypertension, that have coronary artery disease, that have diabetes are more at risk for the side effects of COVID or an adverse outcome of COVID. Um, and a lot of that is secondary to inflammation. And there is emerging, uh, we know, we know um, everybody is again starting to agree that vaccines do not eliminate infection with any virus, whether it's a vaccine for the flu or chicken pox or anything, we can get the infection, we can pass it on the hope is that it might be less symptoms and maybe a less duration. But that's not always the case because it depends on the person and their comorbidities. And, you know, I'd like to, again, go back to we need to make ourselves, which we would call the host for a potential virus, healthy uh, and, and that we can live with viruses and not necessarily um, have to worry about stamping out every infectious disease that, that comes our way. And so this study actually looked at moderate exercise um, and how it may affect SARS-CoV-2 infection. We know that, uh, and, when we, and when it was defined um, moderate exercise, we, you know, we're going with the American Heart Association, 150 minutes of moderate exercise or 75 minutes of vigorous exercise a week. Um, they also looked at strength training or resistance training as, as a part of this. And the benefits of exercise, as well as improved blood, blood vessel integrity and blood flow, it actually maintains good cellular immune function, which involve our T-cell or innate immunity. So if um, people exercise on a regular basis, then their chronic potential for a chronic inflammatory state, which is associated with the risk, increased risk of COVID, actually decreases. Um, if you look at coronaviruses, I mean, they've been around since 1965. They're associated with the common cold. They all have all had a spike protein 
um, SARS in 2003, MERS in 2012, actually had a much higher mortality. There were less people infected. But the mechanism of action typically involves this secondary cytokine storm uh, with the release of inflammatory proteins called interleukin-6, a C-reactive protein. And these are things that we see in people with diabetes, hypertension, people that are overweight. And they looked at 48,440 people that had SARS-CoV-2 infection. And there was a 2.49 higher death times, 2.49, almost two and a half times higher death rate in sedentary people versus those that achieved the minimal activity guidelines of 150 minutes of moderate intensity or 75 minutes of vigorous activity a week. There was a study in Australia that showed that people that met the exercise recommendations had a 34.3% decrease in hospitalization. And it is thought to be, um, again, uh, the exercise decreases inflammation, uh, and that's this chronic inflammatory state. Um, Also uh, probably has something to do with, again, the upregulation of this ACE2 receptors. We know that people... Um, we have these uh, ACE receptors that the spike protein can connect to on our epithelial cells in our lung, uh, in the heart, the kidney, the GI tract, the liver, the bladder. And uh, interestingly, adults have a much higher expression of these receptor cells than children. It's probably one of the reasons why kids are not very much affected by COVID. But the infection causes a secondary release of, um, you know, these inflammatory proteins, interleukin-6, interleukin-2, 17, interferon, uh, granulocyte colony stimulating factor, um, tumor necrosis factor. And these are all things that we see in chronic conditions, people that have chronic diseases. When they broke out exercise um, into aerobic or... Um, resistance-type training, it it was somewhat interesting when they looked at overall decreasing um, fat mass. People that did more aerobic exercise tended to lose more intra-abdominal fat, while people that did resistance training tended to um, have more total fat loss. And of course, you know, this is, again, we've talked about with the book Burn, most likely associated with burning those couple extra hundreds calories a day um, through, you know, again, exercise, dietary intake, but the exercise seems to, um, change the distribution of the fat that was burned or the fat loss. So bottom line, uh, go exercise minimal 150 minutes of moderate 75 of vigorous. Why anybody stops at just, uh, the minimal recommendations, I don't know, but the reality of it is, you know, if we want to be a healthy population from an infectious disease as well as lifestyle diseases, it's not about taking um, pills and shots to make us resistant to these diseases, but to eliminate our risk of these diseases in the first place. And there's nothing better to do that than through nutrition. Another uh, very interesting study, I like things hot. 
Um, my mother is, um, had high blood pressure from a young age. She, um, liked salty things. You know, uh, I grew up around people adding salt. My grandmother cured hams to make country ham, which was extremely salty. Um, and I was never a huge fan of salt. I liked hot things better, but since we've started the nutrition class, one way to decrease people's dependence on salty foods is to make them spicy. And you can use other spices, of course, and there are other spices that are very good, you know, to be able to use cilantro and cumin and coriander and uh, turmeric and basil and rosemary and thyme um, are all, all good spices to use, and they all have great nutritional properties um, and, and great anti-inflammatory effects. But using spice can sometimes get you more focused on something with heat than looking for that salty taste. And it takes, uh, people say, you know, when they start eating things that don't have a lot of salt, they'll say, well, it seems bland. It seems bland to me. But if you add spice to it, um, that changes that. And one of the studies looked at chili peppers. And if people that ate more chili peppers, uh, there was a 26% decrease in cardiovascular disease, a 23% decrease in cancer, and a 25% decrease in all-cause mortality. It's not bad for just eating a few hot peppers on your um, burrito or your chili or whatever you make uh, to add hot peppers to, stir-fry, Indian dish, you know. So uh, it's also associated with uh, there's a lot of anti-inflammatory properties with chili peppers, antioxidants associated with them. You know, the color are going to have beta carotene, which turns into vitamin A. Uh, there's been this associated decrease in blood glucose as well. So um, look to different peppers. I try to add um, both sweet and hot peppers to my dishes. Um, we like to grow jalapenos or serrano peppers. Uh, we've grown uh, a pepper that's really hot, like a bird pepper. Um, uh, Scotch bonnet pepper has like one of the highest heats. Of, of the peppers, um, and, you know, we'll like to add those to the, to the food or the spice mix. So uh, I'd encourage you to, to try, um, you know, adding some hot peppers to uh, your diet. Just to kind of circle back to Thanksgiving and lima beans, um, we always ask this question in class, what's the difference between a lima bean and a butter bean? If you're from the South, you probably grew up eating butter beans. If you're from the North, you may have grown up eating lima beans. And the question is, is there a difference? Some people hate both of them. Some people have never had butter beans, but they hate lima beans. Um, my great aunt used to say it's because people didn't cook them well enough. They tend to have a little bit um, more fiber, a little bit um, harder outshell uh, than a regular, uh, say, great northern or black bean. And so if you don't cook them well, they can be a little bit tough. And if you don't season them, they can maybe be a potentially a little bland. But, um, you know, my family always uh, season things really well. And lima beans is one of my favorite things. We, we thicken them with a little bit of uh, tapioca starch um, after we've cooked them, a little black pepper, and, and they're absolutely delicious. So I decided to look, uh, and, and oh, the answer is they're exactly the same bean. Um, a lima bean is picked green, and a butter bean is picked um, when it's uh, white and, you know, older. So, you know, oftentimes people ask about the nutrition content or nutritional difference, so I thought I'd look into it a little bit. Um, 
the green lima bean versus the white butter bean. Um, green lima beans uh, tend to have, they have 6% of the daily value of vitamin A as well as 17% of the daily value of vitamin C. So in the wintertime, if you're looking to increase your vitamin C intake, this is a place to go. You know, you get uh, a little bit more bang from your buck. The white beans not really associated with a lot of uh, vitamin A or vitamin C. However, the folate content is uh, higher in white beans. There's 21% of the daily value of folate uh, versus 6% in the green bean. If you look at calories, uh, about, they're pretty similar. Green, a uh, cup of green beans, 123 calories. White beans, uh, 115. Carbohydrates, about the same, 23.6 versus 20. Again, that carbohydrate is going to go to glucose, not fructose. And the fiber content, 5.3 in green beans, 7 grams in white beans. If you want to really stay healthy, have a good gut microbiome, we're looking for uh, as close to 80 grams of fiber as you can get a day, minimum 40 grams. The average American gets close to 10 grams, maybe. Um, so that's a, you know another uh, good way to look at, again, lima beans or butter beans. Omega-3 fatty acids, those are the um, essential fatty acids that go to anti-inflammatory compounds, anti-clotting compounds, increase serotonin, increase dopamine, omega-3s. We typically think of flax seed, chia seed, but uh, lima beans have a significant amount, both green at 50 uh, milligrams and white at 52. Omega-6, 104 versus 118 so, uh, again, if you look at the ratio, it's about 1 to 2, which is a good ratio um, for omega-3 to omega-6. Protein, 6.8 grams in the green, 7.8 in the white bean. Vitamin K, uh, if you take warfarin, uh, vitamin K is, uh, works to clot blood, 6.2 or 8% in a green bean versus 2% in a white bean. Again, that green and the vitamin K associate with chlorophyll. Uh, so that's why you have a little bit more uh, in the lima bean. Magnesium, 74 in the green bean versus um, 43 milligrams in the white bean. Potassium, 570 milligrams versus 508 milligrams. How much potassium should you have in a day? I can't hear anybody. Maybe somebody will write in. What's, what, how, what do you think that the green bean, I'm sorry, the green lima bean or the butter bean has in comparison to, say, a banana? A uh, banana has 422 milligrams of potassium. A potato, white potato, 610 milligrams of potassium. We're aiming for about uh, four to five grams of potassium a day for a healthy diet. Other things that have potassium, mushrooms, cooked broccoli, cooked spinach, that it increases the availability, sweet potatoes, peas, cucumbers, are all other good sources of potassium. There are some camps that say that blood pressure is driven more by lack of potassium than too much sodium. I don't agree with that at all. Um, it just tends to be that people have a tremendously high sodium diet and they tend to eat a vegetable or a diet uh, somewhat also deplete in potassium. There's also uh, when people have diabetes and they have a high urine output, they can or they have some kidney disease, they can excrete more potassium and have more electrolyte imbalances. So people with underlying kidney disease can often hold on to salt and eliminate excessive amounts of potassium. If anybody is on a diuretic, 
um, that causes people to lose potassium as well, so that has to be replaced. It's almost impossible to replace potassium that's lost with a, uh, a diuretic with just uh, nutritional intake uh, unless people have underlying kidney disease. The other thing that happens, you know, uh, whole foods, beans, bananas, potatoes, um, they have the things that we need, peppers. They have so many of the vitamins and minerals that we need. It's almost impossible to become deficient in minerals by eating a wide variety of fruits and vegetables unless somebody has underlying disease. But on the other hand, if you replace fruits and vegetables with processed foods that tend to be high in sodium, high in fat, low in fiber, high in sugar, then that's when we start to get in trouble nutritionally. So it's not that a plant-based diet is not healthy. It's that a junk food diet is not healthy. So if I were to look at, say, for instance, chocolate cake with frosting. So if somebody were to bring, you know, this is the time of the year when people start bringing desserts to work and, um, you know, different cakes and candy. So chocolate cake with frosting, guess how much potassium? 372 milligrams of potassium for a small piece at 537 calories. A piece of chocolate cake also has 480 milligrams of sodium. Remembering that we want to keep our sodium for the day under 1,500 milligrams. Seven or 800 milligrams come from the fruits and vegetables that you should be consuming. And so you have about seven or 800 to play with. So if you have a piece of sh chocolate cake, you've shot 480 of those 700 to 800 you have play to play with. 55 grams of sugar. 55 grams of sugar. Now that's not starch. That's not, that's part glucose, part fructose. And again, that fructose in excess of calories can be harmful in excess in, in associated with excess of sodium, can drive kidney disease, drive inflammation. Um, a whopping 27 grams of fat. And if you get uh, store-bought cake with store-bought icing. We're talking trans fat, which is a, a processed fat that's 1.8 grams associated with a tremendous amount of inflammation and heart disease. So substituting junk food for whole fruits and vegetables can, can lead to a whole host of problems. I say this because we're entering the time of year when people just say, oh, what the heck, I'll wait till the first of the year to get my diet on board. And I think that is really dangerous and can really get people into a deep, dark hole and uh, a lot of unhealthy uh, outcomes. You know, I have said it, I say it every year, I say it every class. You know, after Thanksgiving, we see an uptick in, in people being admitted to the hospital with heart failure because of all the salt that they get. Uh, people tend to throw their nutritional plans out the window because people are bringing in desserts and cakes and pies and they feel left out if they don't or they just get tired of saying, no, I don't eat this way. The alternative is to, to have something healthy for yourself. Um, I know when people say, oh, well, that just seems like such a terrible thing to have fruit instead, but there are some healthier desserts that you can make. Um, again, having a fruit ball to have along with a piece of um, plant-based, no oil added 
gingerbread or pumpkin bread can go a long way. It's a really good time of year to test your convictions. Do you really want to be healthy? Do you really want to, you know, enter the new year uh, feeling good about yourself? And uh, are you, do, you want, do you want to end up the, the year, you know, potentially in the hospital or with more medications? It's a lot easier not to have those things happen than to try to backpedal. So this is the time of the year when people need to keep their exercise programs up. Uh, in our office and practice, we are doing the 12 Days of Christmas Wellness Challenge. We do a wellness challenge every month. We encourage people to participate. We have check-ins with our registered dietitian, Addie Delaney Minerage, for people that want to check in. I follow people's glucose on a daily basis so that we can monitor it to have some accountability. Sometimes that's helpful for, helpful for people. You know, personally, I like to have, I mean, we love to go places. That's part of my travel is to go places and do racing. But having a race on the calendar also is very motivating uh, to have something to train for, something to look forward to. There was turkey trots. Congratulations to our registered dietitian, Addie Delaney Meinrich. Uh, She set a personal best for pushing a Bob stroller with Caleb in it. Uh, for a four-mile turkey trot race. I think she was uh, fourth or fifth in her age group, uh, despite pushing a a pretty heavy bob stroller. So, um, you know, signing up for a turkey trot, signing up for a jingle bell jog, signing up for a New Year's Day race, you know, increasing the duration. And again, if you'd like to join us in March, the Treasure Coast Marathon in Stewart, Florida is available for sign up. There's half marathons, relays. I think there might even be a 10K and a full marathon. It's not too late to get started, but have something on the books to train for. Um, it's, you know, it's really always good to have some, some carrot, something that you want to do that helps you motivate and keeps and keeps you focused through all of this eating season, so to speak. You know, thank goodness I don't have to go to the hospital very often, but at this time of year, everybody's always bringing in candy and having, you know, all kinds of the uh, sweet treats around. And the doctor's lounge is typically full of those things. And you see people just grab them without thinking, you know, just grab a cookie here, grab a cookie there, and they don't even realize what they're taking in. One thing to do, if you've committed to being plant-based, any pastry that people make that they're not saying is plant-based is going to have animal products in it. So it's a, it's a really easy no if you don't eat animal products to stay away from these things. You know, store-bought candy has milk in it has dairy in it um you know so if something and you don't know how something's made then assume that it's not made like you would eat it i think people forget that baking soda baking powder um sodium bicarbonate uh, sodium does count it's part of that seven eight hundred milligrams so if you're eating a lot of pastries you're getting a lot of sodium in through the day that you couldn't see or count on because people think that it's not present uh, processed foods, um, high, pro- high fructose corn syrup, again, uh, this inflammatory processed sugar or, that contains fructose uh, is present in any breading. So when you go out and things are breaded, they were breaded at the factory and then they're breaded at the restaurant and fried twice. So they're, you know, they're double the calories, double the fat, double the, double the inflammation. 
So if you're trying to get through the holiday season without becoming ill, you want to lose weight or not gain any weight, you don't want your cholesterol to go up, you got to keep these things in mind and in some hard no's. Um, you know, I grew up in a household where my grandmother started making cookies and storing them in a back room that wasn't heated. She'd start right after Thanksgiving, and there would be, you know, 10 on 10 on 10 of cookies made with sugar and butter and all those things. And it was part of my tradition. And I love, you know, that was the best part of Christmas is my grandmother's baking of the baked goods, you know, and getting together with my cousins and my aunts and uncles. That was a very good memory for me. My grandmother also died the first week of January from a massive heart attack that was associated with what she ate, was largely responsible for her sudden death at age 72. So when I think of those beautiful pastries and beautiful cookies and cakes that she made, it also cut her life short. And I don't want that for me or my family, for the rest of my family. And there are better ways to celebrate, uh, different ways to celebrate. It doesn't have to be, you know, full of these desserts. And I know a lot of other, you know, physicians, I, you know, heard when I heard this doctor uh, talk about fructose, you know, and then they talked about, well, once in a while, a sweet treat on a special occasion. But again, then people don't know what is a special occasion and how much, how much is too much. And I think it's better off to look at things in a different view. How can we get around these things and, you know, and make it occur in very limited amounts and in very special occasions, not just going by, you know, a table full of sugar, store-bought cookies, tins of things that people, you know, bring in from Sam's or BJ's or Costco and, and grab it, un, you know, without thinking. Um, you know, a story um, goes for me when I first went vegan, I still ate oil and I thought that I would be able to get rid of my antacid because I had terrible indigestion, like my mother had terrible indigestion. And it was worse at Christmas time. And I used to blame it on the coffee that I would drink at Christmas time because I liked my vegan pastries, my vegan cookies, and I would have coffee. And I didn't blame the vegan cookies. I blamed the coffee. But the reality of it was those vegan cookies had a lot of vegan butter in it. There was a lot of inflammation, a lot of sugar and butter. That's basically what a cookie is. So when I gave up those things, then all of a sudden my indigestion went away. I still drink coffee, but I don't have those buttery pastries. So um, I'd rather not have those and not have indigestion and not have to take an H2 uh, or a proton pump inhibitor. Uh, and, and that's my choice. So it's a hard no. I can look at those things and say, no, I don't want a part of that because it's going to make me ill. I'd rather be able to go run a marathon and feel good and not be sick. So I hope, you know, some of the tips help. Um, I hope you sign up for a race. I hope you get your exercise. I hope you look at your own risk factors and get those under control before 2022. And if you'd like to find out more about how we go about that in our practice, go over to drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y, and uh, check out what we have to offer. 
You can email me with questions at jamie at drdelaney.com. You can follow me on Instagram at jamaladelaney. You'll see pictures of what I eat as well as pictures of my dogs and cat here. Uh, we have a new little kitten named Tony that's being fairly good during this podcast. He is. He has climbed the Christmas tree already. So uh, check it out, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. And I hope you have a wonderful holiday. And I have a special guest coming up in the next couple of weeks, Doug Graham from the book 801010. So you might want to check that book out. And I'll be speaking to him again about sugar because he eats uh, completely unprocessed, raw fruits and vegetables, a lot of fruit. So you won't want to miss that interview. And then when I get back next week, I'll also be talking about the race report. So I'll tell you how those shoes go and those Newtons turn out. I'm not going to blame Newton Company for a bad race. Uh, I will blame myself for not getting used to the shoes if uh, bad things should happen. But we'll see how it goes. Thanks for listening. See you next week.